church, our Lord said, Why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door of God. the 25th day of December, in the 5,099th year in the creation of the world from the time when God created the heavens and the earth, the 2,957th year after the flood, the 2,015th year from the birth of Abraham, the 1,510th year from Moses and the going forth of the people of Israel to Egypt the 1,032nd year from David's being anointed king, in the 65th week according to the prophecy of Daniel, and the 194th Olympiad, and the 752nd year from the foundation of the city of Rome, the 42nd year in the reign of Octavius Augustus, the whole world being at peace in the sixth age of the world. Jesus Christ, the eternal God and the Son of the Eternal Father, willing to consecrate the world by His merciful coming, being conceived by the Holy Spirit, and nine months having passed since His conception, was born in Bethlehem in Judea, of the Virgin Mary, being made man, the nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to the flesh.
Hola, buenos dias, que tal? Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be back with you this week. Well, this week, we're going to be talking about Advent, the season where we prepare our hearts for the coming, the nativity of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is a very powerful season for us here in the church, and I just am so excited to be able to share with you uh, what I really get out of this season. What I really love about this season is this is a unique opportunity in the calendar to really dive deep into salvation history, which, as you know, this is what we do on this show. We journey through salvation history all the time. Well, today, in the next 20 minutes or so, we're going to be going on hyperdrive. I've selected a few verses that I want to bring out because what I want you to hear is that struggle. The the pain, the sorrow, the longing in the voice of the people of God through the word of God as they look forward to that day when our Lord would come, the promised Messiah, to right the wrong in a garden, to bring justice, peace, and righteousness to a wayward people, to protect and restore the people of God once again from all those who surround them and oppress them and lay them into the dust of death. And how much more perfect. Galatians 4, chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 says, But when the time had fully come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. What I hope that you'll get tonight is the longing, like I said, the longing, the fact that the people of Israel had been waiting for the coming Messiah. And I want you to hear that because when we culminate this in Luke's gospel, I want you to see it all come together perfectly. That's the power of the word of God. But where did Advent come from? You know, uh, one really great resource is this one right here. It's Why Is That in Tradition? It's by Patrick Madrid. And on chapter 25, the fixed celebration of Christmas Patrick actually points out how the season of Advent, really at Christmas, the the feast day of Christmas developed over time. It slowly developed. In the first two centuries, we have no record of the celebration of the feast of our Lord. But by that third century, that fourth century rather, we see how the feast is actually being set. In some communities, it's being celebrated in May and April, and others it's being celebrated in November. But that December 25th date does come around. In fact, on on page 177 of the book, it says, And around the year 380, St. Gregory Nazianzen, Bishop of Constantinople, declared the Nativity of the Lord to be a special feast day in the church there. He goes on to talk about the controversy about how we sort of stole the pagan holiday from, from that pagan god of the sun. The unconquerable sun god is what they used to call them. But we see even around the year 250 AD, St. Cyprian of Carthage says, and he quotes this on page 178, quote, Oh, how wonderfully God's providence acted that on the day on which the sun, referring to the pagan notion of the sun god, was born, that Christ should be born. You see, the, the faithful recognize that in the pagan system, was the imperfect sun god, and that our Lord, who is the true son of the Most High, he is the the one. He sort of trumps this pagan notion of a sun god with the real deal. 
And that's very important. That's what the St. Cyprian brings out. Also, St. John Chrysostom says, quote, Our Lord, too, is born in the month of December, the 8th, before the calends of January. That's December 25th. But they call it the birthday of the unconquered, i.e. the sun god, who indeed is so unconquered as our Lord. Or if they say that it is the birthday of the sun, he is the son of justice, i.e. Jesus Christ. We shouldn't be scandalized, brothers and sisters, if the fact that we took over this pagan holiday of December 25th, the simple fact is we don't know beyond the shadow of a doubt when our Lord was born. But we do celebrate the nativity of our Lord, and we prepare for that nativity through the season of Advent, preparing our hearts, our minds, for the coming of that Lord and Savior who would die for us on the cross. That's the season that we're in now. And I hope that you can now join with me as we journey through salvation history in seeking that longing for the coming Messiah. Because that's what we see found in in Scripture. That's what this book of A Father Who Keeps His Promises has has been telling us over and over and over again. You see, it all started in a garden with the first man, Adam, and his bride, Eve. They were given a command in Genesis chapter 2 to keep, to protect the garden. And they could eat of any tree in that garden with the exception of that one tree of the knowledge of good and evil because on the day they ate it, surely they would die the death. But that day came when an intruder came into the garden and tested Adam and Eve. And Adam, being a coward, stood silent and allowed his bride to stand there and try to fend off this this intruder all by her lonesome. He didn't stand in between her and this intruder. No, he stood silent. And on that day, in his silence, Eve was beguiled and ate. And man fell from grace. They were ashamed and naked, and they hid themselves. When our Lord walked in the cool of the day, he called them out, Adam, where are you? It's not like God didn't know what was going on. He knew he was calling them out to confession. And then, in this scene of confession and penance, we see that first good news, the Proto-Evangelium in Genesis 3, 14 and 15. We are told, quote, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all cattle, and above all wild animals, upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first good news. God, right here at the very fall of mankind, points to that day when the seed of the woman would come and restore this wrong. He would make right this injustice. This is the Proto-Evangelium. This is where our journey begins. When God makes his promise. Now God, he takes his time. He doesn't just snap his fingers, you know, and and just say, okay, uh, we'll start over. Redo, mulligan. Uh, uh." No, he doesn't work that way. It goes slowly over time. He works with the family of God. That's where we are right now in in our study, in our journey with a father who keeps his promises. But let's move on into the next 
saga in the salvation history going past Noah where he saves mankind through just just a small group of family there on the ark saved through the waters but going past that to Abraham who in Genesis 22 was told by God Abraham Abraham take your only son and offer him on a mountain that I will show you let's look at verse 20 uh, chapter 22 starting at verse 6 and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son and he took in his hand the fire and the knife and so they went both of them together and Isaac said to his father Abraham my father and he said here am I my son he said behold the fire and the wood but where is the lamb for the burnt offering Abraham said God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering my son so they went both of them together when they came to the place of which God had told him Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid Isaac on the altar upon the wood then Abraham put forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said Abraham Abraham and he said here am I he said do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him for now I know that you fear God seeing you have not withheld your son your only son from me and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and beheld Behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son Isaac. And so Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. That very mountain where Abraham was going to give his only son Isaac was the mountain of our Lord. It was the very mountain that the temple of Solomon would be built. It is the mountain upon which our Lord was offered up as a sacrifice. For that, that is the fulfillment of this, this, this prophecy, this section of Genesis in chapter 22. God made good on his promise through that angel that day with Abraham that he would provide the lamb. Don't offer your son Abraham, for all the false gods around you require you to offer your sons to them. But know, know that I am not a false god. Know that I am the one true God, that I don't require your sons. No, I give you instead my son for the salvation of all. This is the promise, the good news that will come to us. Here given to Abraham, and through his faith, he shall bless all nations. And we know that our Lord Jesus Christ drew all to himself when he was lifted up. He too blesses all nations. The fulfillment of this prophecy. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, starting in verse 17, we are told, quote, And the Lord said to me, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Micah 5.2 But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, 
who were little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is of old from ancient days. In Deuteronomy, that was Moses speaking. Lord God had spoken to Moses and said, I will send forth a prophet like you, but greater. And he will do all that I send him to do. Did not our Lord say that he would that he came to do the Father's will? And as the Father works, so does he? This is the promised Messiah to come. They're looking forward to that day when the Lord God makes good on his word. And we know through Micah that he will come from Bethlehem, from the little clan of Judah, a small segment, the littlest, because the last shall be first and the first shall be last. The least is greater than the greatest. Have you ever wanted God to speak to your heart, to send you a sign, to shore up your faith? Have you ever felt lost, confused, not knowing what decisions to make or what the next step is going to be about tomorrow, and just felt so just scared and anxious about your life? Well, this is nothing new. We've all felt this. We've all wanted God to speak to us, to hear His voice. God, I just need a little sign. Well, we have that. In Isaiah 7, we are told of a, the king of Israel, Ahaz, who, who 
needed to be shored up in his faith. He was wandering, and God needed to, to send someone to shore up his faith to get him back on the right track. And so the Lord God sent Isaiah, Go forth to meet Ahaz, you and Shirajash, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway of the fuller's field, and say to him, Take heed, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin in Syria and the son of Ramallah, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramallah has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the sun as king in the midst of it. That's Isaiah 7, starting in verse 3. And Isaiah says, Look, look, King Ahaz, I know you feel like you're surrounded on all sides, and, and you have no faith right now. You're wondering. You're caving in. Ask God for a sign, for he has one to give you. Oh no, King Ahaz says, no, no, no. I will not test the Lord my God. I will never ask him for a sign. Oh no, Isaiah said, you shall not test the Lord God, but you must ask for a sign because he has one. Isaiah 7.14 says, Henceforth the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a young woman, a virgin, some translations say, shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us, God incarnate. In John's gospel, we are told that the Lord God came down and tabernacled among us. He took on flesh and dwelt among us. Here in Isaiah 7, we have that promise once again, the coming promise Messiah, the one who would set straight everything, the one who will take away all anxieties. Did our Lord not say that my yoke is easy, my burden is light? I will give you my yoke and I will take apart, take yours from you. He will take away all your stress, all your fear and anxiety, and he will give you his. If you simply trust in him and abide in him, he will abide in you. In Isaiah 9, Starting in verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Psalm 72, starting in verse 10, it says, May the kings of Tarshish and the isles render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. Did that not happen when the wise men, the kings from east, come and pay tribute to our Lord, bringing frankincense, myrrh, and gold. This is the promise, the looking forward to that day when all their troubles would be answered, and the King of Kings 
and the Lord of lords, and all kings, all, will bow down to him. Now let's skip forward. I wish I had more time. Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, this is verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a woman whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Hail, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How shall this be, since I have no husband? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your kinswoman Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is so packed full of just ripe stuff that I wish I had ten hours to unpack it. When the angel who comes before the very face of God. You know, when Moses talked face to face to the Lord God. His face began to shine like the sun. It scared the Israelites. They made him put a veil over his face. Just like our Lord on the mountain of transfiguration, when he began to shine like the sun, Peter gets anxious and nervous, not knowing what to say. And here the angel must have been shining so bright, coming before the very face of God. And yet he refers to Our Lady as kekade tomene, which is the Greek word here. He refers to her as the full of grace, the favored one of the Lord. This is a title like saying, Hail, President of the United States. She is the full of grace. She was always full of grace. She is now full of grace. She will always be full of grace. The angel brings good news. The fulfillment of all that the people of the Lord have been waiting on for millennia, for thousands of years, has come to pass now, Mary. It all rides on you, little girl. Will you undo the knot tied by Eve? Will you right the wrong by the transgression made in a garden so many years ago? God needed her free will acceptance. God didn't plan a backup strategy in case Mary decided, well, I'm not really up for it, you know. No, no, no. This young woman had a choice. And by her free will, God would bring forth the salvation of all. When she says, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done unto me according to thy word. 
That is the message. That is the good news. That is the season of Advent as we prepare our hearts for the coming, the nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us reflect on all of this awesome salvation history, all of this text, this typology that we can go back and just meditate upon and know that our Lord Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all of it. He is from Bethlehem of a small clan of Judah. He is born of a Virgin Mary. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the one who will right all the wrongs. In a garden, he will cry out to the Lord who is worthy to save him with loud cries and lamentations, unlike the coward in a garden who was silent and let his Eve do all the talking. In a garden, Mary will be silent before the cross of Christ. How do you prepare your heart? For the season of Advent, prayer, fasting, masses, studying and reading these scriptures. Prepare your heart for the coming nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will come in glory and the shepherds will praise his name, and the kings will bow down. Will you? Join us next week as we continue our journey together. May God richly bless you. From the Catholic Underground. <laughs>